Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by The Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. Additional information about The Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Okay, so hopefully you've gotten to Psalm 20 by now. It's a very simple psalm, but you know how when you study the Scripture, any part of the Scripture, you fall in love with that part of the uh, the Scriptures. So we know how good Psalm 19 is, and we know we got Psalm 22 about, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, and uh, some of the words that Jesus spoke on the cross. We know we've got that coming up. We know we've got Psalm 23 coming up, and there's no probably more well-known psalm than Psalm 23. But the reason why you go through chapter by chapter and verse by verse is because, you know, you get to see things that you might not have seen before or see it better and you study it and spend some time there. And I just love spending time in Psalm 20 this week. Uh, So let's read it here. Psalm 20 in the New King James, it says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice, Selah. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation. and In the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Hosanna, Lord, or save, Lord. May the king answer us when we call. Now, depending on your translation, instead of it saying may, yours might have said the Lord will. And that's one of those Hebrew grammar things. I mean, that is a decision made by some of you might have had one like that. And so there is a little bit of this going on where it could be instead of a plea, a declaration. So either way works, but we're going to follow the way the New King James has it here. So the inscription in the New King James reads, to the chief musician. And I think that's important to remember here because of what's in there. Like other psalms, this was meant to be sung. And so the fact that you've got this beautiful truth here and what really turns into kind of a prayer uh, was first sung uh, and it was, it was uh, in the hymnal of Israel uh, lets us know uh, that uh, some prayers are sung. And when we pray and pray, some of the songs we do on Sunday morning and throughout the week really kind of turn into a prayer too as we sing them. And that's why we're so thankful for Eddie, you know, giving us a good theology in all the songs. I guarantee you he's not going to put up anything that uh, is uh, questionable theology and stuff. So that's what you want in the music, fella. You know, I, I, just a little side note here, you know, um, I always um, have told the people that I work with music, uh, the music leaders I've worked with, uh, there, there's three things that I want you to guide your selection. The first one is it's got to be good quality Christian words. You know, it's got to be quality theology in the words. Secondly, it's got to be good music. 
some of the old hymns that have good words to them kind of make you feel like you're on a merry-go-round and it just feels a little silly to sing it that exact way 200 years later and stuff, you know. And so some of those get uh, more singable music behind it and other things. But got to be good words, got to be good music. And then there's a third test that I always put in there too, and that is we've got to be able to sing it together. And a lot of the modern songs are failing on that third count. You know, they're almost uh, made to have you watch pro musicians sing them to you. And we want to be very careful to have all those things in there because what we want to do is together worship the audience of one and to encourage each other as we're worshiping the audience of one. So, so thankful uh, that our brother takes that so uh, seriously and gives us such good stuff. And... um, Y'all pray that the Lord will provide just the right uh, musicians to join that team, you know. Uh, so uh, we have some fabulous musicians out there, but when they're in the pews and not on the platform, it doesn't help us that much, right? So pray that God will lead uh, who wants to be and needs to be part of music ministry uh, to be part of that. By the way, um, the special that Eddie sung today, uh, you have not heard that anywhere else on the planet because Eddie McDonald wrote that song. So then it says it's a Psalm of David. Now, it appears that David is answering the question in Psalm 20 for his subjects, those that he was king over, and he's answering the question, how can I pray for the king? So when you look at this content and study it, so many commentators say the same thing, and that is that this was a, um, this was a uh, psalm that uh, David is telling his people how to pray for him as the king. In fact, when the inscription says a psalm of David... The way that Hebrew word works out, it could be of, it could be for. So a psalm for David, right? And it was of him and for him. And I have no doubt that he wrote it, but it could also be the word for there. Since it was to be sung, it could be thought of like the British anthem, God Save Our King. Now, they got a king now, so they're saying king instead of queen. You know, you might have heard God Save the Queen, you know. But uh, at the halftime of every uh, Premier League soccer game, Uh, They start off the second half with everybody in attendance singing, God save the king, even if they're for different teams. They're for the king that day. They're for the country that day, right? And, uh, you know, you know that if you lived in Britain, and we don't, and I'm thankful for America, but they would sing it regularly, God save the king. They sing it on special days. They sing it in times of trouble when war's about to commence. They sing it in times of war. And it could very well also be that David prayed many of these things for his subjects as well. So it does work for praying for the Lord's anointed, the king, but it also works for the king praying back to his people. And you certainly get a, a, the verse nine kind of brings it together like that as if everybody's in on it together. You know, the sense that we're God's people, we're God's Israel. Uh, For the first audience, it would have been to Israel and they would have understood that to be the case. We look at it and we draw from it and we uh, realize how good it is to be part of the family of God. Like the song we sing, it's so good. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Um, So number six is the great priestly blessing to the people of Israel. Psalm 20 takes on the feel of a great kingly blessing for the people of Israel. Now, you remember back in number six, uh, Aaron, the priest, was told to bless the people like this. Aaron was told to look at the people and say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom, give you uh, all the whole man, whole woman welfare, you know, that God has for you to have. 
And the end of that says, so they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. And as I read Numbers 20 this week and looked at some of the different commentators, Charles Spurgeon, Bob Alden, and others, um, you know, I thought, man, that's kind of what this is doing. David uh, is doing a kingly blessing uh, psalm for them toward him and him toward them. And that's why I kind of said, you know, it looks like he's saying, hey, when you want to wish good things for the king, use Psalm 20, use this. And if it, uh, since it was to be sung, it could have very well been a God save the king kind of thing. So as the people blessed David and David blessed the people as their king, something special was happening for them as Israel, as the people of God. When the British sing, God save the king, it's moving to me, but I'm outside that circle. You know, uh, I, I know uh, something resonates inside of me because, uh, you know, some of my lineage, if I was to do the 23 and me, some came out of uh, there, but more came out of Italy. I think if my 23 and me, you know, more, I, I thought I've always thought of myself as Campbell in Scotland, you know, but there was as much Eastern Europe and as much, uh, you know, uh, Italian uh, in there. And I know I've got living relatives in Italy. I don't know about Scotland or whatever, but so... Uh, and, and, you know, so they, but the British, when they would sing God Save the King, they feel something special as far as uh, what this means to them as an experience. And I feel the same as an American when we sing our national anthem, you know, uh, you know, just something stokes up in your heart, you know, when you're singing and your hands over the heart and you're with the stars and stripes and stuff like that. But Israel alone had the special calling as God's chosen nation. So we always reject any of that Christian reconstructionism that says, okay, you know, we're now in England or we're now in America, the people of God. No, you know, Christians are the people of God and Israel is God's special nation. And one day there's going to be a massive revival at the end times there for Israel. And, you know, the people of God, Jew and Gentile alike, are all going to love Christ and, uh, you know, serve him and seek him. But uh, just think about this, if indeed we're on to something about the God save the king type thing this psalm was about. Let's just imagine how the first audience must have felt singing it. And of course, in Christ, we're part of the people of God and have many songs that talk what it means to be saved and part of God's people. When all God's people are with God in the future, it occurred to me as I said this this week, maybe King David himself will lead us in this special song that really, if you look at it closely, we're going to do that in just a second here. It's a big thank you to God for what he means to his people. Aren't you grateful to be a believer? Aren't you grateful that he saved you and uh, that you're going to heaven and you're going to be with him forever? And one day these bodies that are failing us are going to be replaced by a new body. Uh, to live on a new earth in all the best things of earth without the sin. I bet we'll sing Psalm 20 there too, you know, and just in rejoicing in what God has done. So verses 1 to 3 are a prayer to survive the tough days, relevant for the king in a time of trouble, but also relevant for us in a time of trouble. Look at verse 1. It says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. Now, one thing we see here, just as far as poetry goes, is uh, there's a lot of parallelism in the Psalms and in Proverbs also, and you certainly see that here. So it's meant to do something to us when we see Yahweh, the Lord, in the first part of verse 1, and in the second part, the name of the God of Jacob. So he's telling you the name of the God of Jacob is Yahweh. You know, these are parallel uh, concepts here that, you, that this God will defend you in the day of trouble. Now, when we speak of being protected by the name of God, we're thinking of his characteristics and traits, as well as his authority that we function under. 
So, uh, so many verses, both Old Testament and New Testament, make a big deal about the name of God and all that that conveys. So may the name of the God of Jacob defend you. So when we think about the name, we think about some of his, uh, some of his characteristics. What are some characteristics of our God? Just blurt them out. Creator. He's a creator. That means power. Yeah. Faithful. He's faithful. Awesome. Loving. Loving. Just. Just. Holy. Holy. holy just. Yeah. King of kings. Yeah. There's so many things. You know, I love uh, sometimes you get the list out of the names of the uh, Lord that are in the Bible. You know, just have hundreds of them and hundreds of them for God. Hundreds, you know, dozens uh, for Jesus, dozens for the Holy Spirit and stuff. And you put it all together and, and they each add in and supplement, supplement our knowledge of this amazing God that we serve. Well, I heard the word uh, create there. We think of his omnipotence to create and to make happen. Uh, so when we turn to this God, when we crawl out to Yahweh and we're praying that uh, the Lord will um, be with us in the day of trouble, that the name of the God of Jacob will defend us, we're thinking of the fact that he is Yahweh the creator. We're thinking of his omniscience, the way he rules and overrules the good and bad designs of choices made by sinful humans and the rulers around us. We think of his omnipresence in which no one can hide from him. Uh, and many other things. We've said some of them here. His glory, his holiness, his uh, kesed, his loving kindness or grace, mercy toward people. We especially think of his power to save his people physically, as he did so many times in the Old Testament when they cried out to him when they were in a tight spot, and sinners spiritually so they become his people. Now, what past event does verse 1 uh, make us think of in the life of Jacob? It says, so he says, okay, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. Can you think about a time that Jacob was concerned and needed God to show up for him? Yeah, he was going back home even later when Esau. Exactly, yeah. What, was, what, what, did, what did Jacob remember uh, the, among the last words of Esau? He'd seen, I think it was 20 years previously, uh, when Jacob went to go get a wife, but also to flee from danger, what does he remember Esau's uh, last uh, thoughts toward him being? I'm going to kill you. Yeah, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take you out. You know, I'm, I'm so upset, you know, because uh, you stole these things from me. And so he was rightfully concerned as he was coming back to Israel and he heard Esau was coming. You know, he thought, uh-oh. You know, and he was scared. Do you remember what happened uh, in that time of his concern? What, who, who wound up meeting him and spending some time with him? That's when he wrestled with God. That's right. He wrestled with a man all night, got a broken hip, but he didn't let go. You know, he didn't let go. I won't let you go until you bless me. This is a prayer of blessing. You're asking God to bless. And in many ways, he's asking God to be as tenacious now in uh, blessing his people in their day as he had been in the past when God had taken care of Jacob uh, during that difficult time. The time he wrestled with God, God answered his prayer and kept his family from the trouble that he feared Esau would bring. So that was a past day of Jacob's trouble. And then what future event does this make us think of that will be hard for Israel, using the name of Jacob here? What future event? I gave you a hint. I shared a passage with you from Jeremiah. The tribulation. Bev's got it. Star of the day right there. 
Okay, I only have one. Sorry, the rest of you. Uh, but yeah, the tribulation in Jeremiah 37 is described as the future day of Jacob's trouble. And from the book of Daniel, we learn that it's seven years. It's what's described in Revelation 6 to 19. Uh, it starts more passively uh, as the tribulation begins, but then gets in just a terrible time of persecution and death for it, uh, Jewish folk before the second coming of Christ. Uh, Jesus said in um, the Olivet Discourse, there'd never been a time like it. It's the worst time the world's ever seen. Um, and uh, particularly hard on Jews and people on during the tribulation that turned to Christ. And, and you, know, uh, you know, the church, of course, I believe is already raptured at the uh, before the tribulation begins. So that's that hard time. God regathers Israel, but at a great cost uh, and a lot of trouble for them there. Um, so Israel was going to call on the name of the God of Jacob and be saved. But, you know, this great thing is this name, this concept of the authority of God. You know, uh, when Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the name conveys the idea of authority. That's why the verse before that he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, so you go baptize people in my name. Mm -hmm. This coming Sunday, we're going to baptize at least two ladies. Uh, I think one's about 30 and one's about 60, and uh, excited to do that. Um, and, uh, you know, we Jesus has delegated us the authority to represent him. And so the name of God also represents his authority. And so this blessing in verse 1 is saying, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. Um, God, we're crying out to you. And for the blessing part, how can we pray for David? David said, we'll pray that the Lord will answer in any of these days of trouble we experience and pray that God of Jacob, the God of Jacob will defend just as he met us back there. He'll meet with us now. And we love this concept of the name. In Romans 10, 13, we're told if sinners call on the name of the Lord, what will happen? They will be saved. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. In John 14, 13, Christians are instructed to pray in the name of Jesus. And what that really is, we're submitting our prayers to his authority to answer as he sees best, uh, which might be yes, might be no, might be wait. Whenever God says no, it's for a greater yes. I love this Charles Spurgeon quote. I think I gave it to you, didn't I? Jacob had his day of trouble. He wrestled, was heard, was defended, and due time was set on high. And his God is our God still, the same God to all his wrestling Jacobs. And that's worth putting on a three-by-five card and uh, putting it on your uh, car dash as you drive to work. Is that okay for me to say that? That might cause an accident. Uh, no, maybe not. Uh, or as you shave on your, uh, uh, you know, your mirror there at home or whatever, just some way to see that. That's a great quote. Well, look at verse 2, another parallel concept. May he send you help from the sanctuary, and may he strengthen you out of Zion. What does he have in mind by the sanctuary? The earthly, so David um, is the author, so he would have thought of this as the tabernacle, but he already has a heart to build a permanent temple, so later Jews would immediately think of the temple. He would have thought of the tabernacle, but that earthly place where you come and meet with God, right? And since he's going to talk about sacrifices in a meeting, we know that's the case. But yeah, help from where the saints gather on earth to worship God. May he help you out of where the saints come to worship God on earth. And what do you think he has in mind when he says, may he strengthen you out of Zion? Help from where the saints in heaven worship God, right? So you got this beautiful concept that God is, uh, you know, bigger than heaven, 
heaven's my throne, earth is my footstool, the Lord says through the prophet Isaiah, right? So, um, you know, he's here, he's there, he's here, and he is able to help, he's able to hear. And so David wants the nation praying for him, and he's praying for the nation. When you have a day of trouble, may God answer you uh, from, um, may the presence of God uh, where the saints gather, the help come from there, may it come from heaven uh, where God's being worshiped. There are two great mercies in great trouble. One is being heard at the throne of God, and the other is defense coming from the throne of God, right? Um, can you think of an incident in the book of Daniel uh, where Daniel was instructed about how his prayers corresponded to God's help being on the way? Yeah, he was um, praying. And then the angel showed up. He was in his room. He told me, your prayers were already heard. Yeah. You know, but he was stopped by... Um, by the Prince of Persia, yeah. was stopping him from getting to him to answer that prayer, but that prayer had already been answered. That's the one. That's the one. So I think uh, it's in Daniel nine, right, or is it Daniel seven? Daniel seven. Daniel seven. Daniel seven. Um, and uh, that's such a beautiful passage. The angel says, "Man, the moment you prayed, help started coming." Now, spiritual warfare was intense, and so it took a little longer to get here. And what that teaches us is. We need to be praying because, um, you know, God desires to help us get from where we are to where he wants us to be. And um, there is such a thing as spiritual warfare going on in heavenly places. Ephesians 6 tells us the same thing. So uh, the first battle cry for us is to get on our knees, right, and pray to the Lord and, um, you know, uh, just, uh, you know, pray ourselves, recruit others to pray. Um, I got to speak at the Southern and Barn on Saturday, and I chose for my passage 2 Chronicles 20, where Jehoshaphat found out that the uh, Moabites and the Ammonites and some otherites had gathered together, and they wanted to do him and Judah harm. And he's like, huh, on paper, they got us whooped. We better pray. <laughs> so he said, I'm praying, I'm fasting. And others said, well, the king says we need to fast and pray. They all fasted and prayed. So Judah uh, did that. And, and what is it? I just wanted to say I was incorrect for the question. It was Daniel 10. Daniel 10. Okay. Sorry. All right. That's all right. Well, I'm glad we, we, we got it right because uh, I knew it was, uh, I, I wanted, I was sticking on nine for some reason. I, and that, that whole problem. thing starts oh, at seven. Oh, yeah. It's so, so good. All it's so good. Here. Yeah, it's so good. Daniel 10. That's good. So, um, but yeah, uh, Jehoshaphat, and, and, and his prayer is so neat, King Jehoshaphat, and he basically says, gathers the people together, he prays publicly for them all, and he says, look, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And so first we pray. God may give us specific action points and often does as, as he prays and settles our hearts, but prayer is the first resort, not the last resort. And this, uh, this, this whole blessing of a prayer and, and a song to be sung really gets you going that way. Now look at verse 3. May he remember all your offerings, and may he accept your burnt sacrifice. So here we think of the king bringing his offerings to the temple. We think of the uh, subject in Israel uh, bringing their offering to the temple or the ta tabernacle to the tent of sacrifice. Now, what did it mean in Leviticus that God was accepting your burnt offering? I know I got something written here, and I'll fill that blank in for you and stuff, but uh, what was the whole idea of um, God giving that sacrificial system 
uh, when you'd blown it and when you uh, brought a sacrifice. Why were you bringing a sacrifice? To get forgiveness of sins and get your uh, get get things right between you and God again. Uh, so what did it mean? That he accepted your confession of sin and agreed to transfer it, your sin, transfer your sin to the atoning sacrifice and accept the death of the substitute rather than kill you for your sin. And God was teaching his people how costly sin is. It involved death. In this case, an animal sacrifice. And we're told that the... Um, the sin, the, the offering did not take away sin, but it covered it. God, God chose to cover it. The payment still needed to be made. And that's why you, you can learn a lot of great theology in some Christian rap songs. Uh, I'm in, uh, so glad for the Christian rapper that uh, basically in his rap said that, you know, what happened is the, the, the Old Testament times was like using a credit card, right? You, you, you used it and they accepted that. And um, you could take home with you what you purchased. But the payment hadn't been made yet, right? It looked forward to a future payment. Jesus died for our sins on the cross. And when John the Baptist saw him, he said, look, there's the Lamb of God who not just covers the sin, he takes away the sin of the world. And New Testament believers, when we exercise faith in Christ, when we turn to Christ for salvation, we continue to walk by faith, we're using a debit card. When you use your debit card, it comes right out of the account, right? The payment was already made, and you're just, you know, you got it in there. And so Old Testament looking forward, New Testament looking back, but it was all centered in what Christ would do there on the cross. Shailene, that's the name I'm thinking of. S-H-A-I-L-I-N-N-E, some great stuff. Um, um, Pastor uh, Dr. Brown actually quoted another uh, one this morning, Trip Lee, which is pretty cool. So there's a lot going on there. David's thankful there's a way to be forgiven when we sin. He wants to be clean before the Lord through confession of sin and receiving God's forgiveness. So he says, hey, when you, when you bring, may the Lord accept your offering when you bring it. May, may he accept this, the burnt sacrifice when you offer it. What's he saying there? Man, when you get serious with God and you go to him, may God just take you in and just walk with you from there, uh, which is great. And if I'm right that he wanted others to be praying this for him, then it makes it all the more meaningful. They're praying it for him. He's praying it for them. He's extolling how wonderful it is that God isn't done with us when we sin, but he's also preaching to himself and Israel to keep being right with God. Like uh, Pastor Lamar used to say, we want to keep short sin accounts before the Lord. You know, God reveals something to you, confess it, get it forgiven. Uh, by the way, do you think that Dr. Brown looked a little bit like Lamar? <laughs> At least a, a dozen people told me that this morning and stuff, and so it was a little eerie, you know, especially after um, you know losing Pastor Lamar back in January to have a, a fella here that, uh, you know, just uh, gracious like that with some of those mannerisms and uh, the quick wit and stuff like that. Um, so pretty cool. Now, after th the first three verses, there's a Selah. And some uh, wonder why the Selah is here when there's still a little bit more prayer of this, this first half of the psalm to go. Um, but I think it's because, you know, having established that you're turning to God for deliverance in a day of trouble and that he's going to forgive your sin uh, because of the sacrifice, um, ultimately that uh, is pointing forward to the sacrifice on the cross. Basically, those were prayers to survive the day of trouble. 
But David wants so much more for that. And so Selah means stop, think about that, and then be ready for the next big point, which is your fill in the blank here, prayer to thrive and fulfill your life's purpose. To not just survive, but to thrive. I tell you, I pray this way for you guys when I pray for you. Um, you know that great song? We sing it sometimes because our hearts are just hurting. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives. Oh, you know, the whole thing. It's just so great, right? But if you ever stand next to me while I'm singing that, I say, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And then I add, and I want to. You know, I'm just not trying to get through surviving. You know, I, I'm trying to get all that promise from John 10, 10, right? The first part says the thief comes to kill and destroy, kill, steal, and destroy. But the second part says, Jesus says, I've come, they might have life, and might have it more abundantly. Um, I know heaven's going to be the best there is. But a man with the Holy Spirit inside and his truth to guide me and the church to help us all together worship the Lord and stuff like that, uh, you know, there should be joy in our heart even when we're facing difficult things. David just doesn't want to survive. He wants to thrive. And I feel like particularly as so many of us are concerned about these days of God uh, being defied and uh, truth being rejected, I saw the most frightening stat, and it went so well with Dr. Brown being with us this morning. Only 4% of Americans on this side of the pandemic have a biblical worldview. Now, there's more than that that profess Christ, but only 4%. One out of 25. One out of 25. That means we got work to do. You know, we got to keep on... Uh, seeking God ourselves, win people to Christ, but disciple, disciple, disciple them so they'll, um, you know, uh, think biblically about the things that are before them and learn a little bit so they can, you know, uh, Paul said he wasn't ignorant of, of Satan's devices. Sometimes we're ignorant of Satan's devices, you know. Um, sometimes, you know, Paul also said, you know, that this faith is able to tear down str uh, strongholds and arguments, you know, and things like that. And so uh, many of those things are self-defeating. And we need to wade right in there with our Bible and our faith and, and help some people out. But um, look at verse 4. He says, May God grant you according to your heart's desire, and may, may he fulfill all your purpose. Now, when we get to Psalm 37, we're going to see one of my favorite verses. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, what's the trick about that, David? Well, if we delight in our heart, he's going to change our desires to anything we're going to desire him. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the key is you delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, if you start out with desires against what God wants for you, then you're not delighting in him. So, he, he you know, he can't fulfill sinful desires, you know, um, because it's empty. Because what they did, they really showed this good in this Jesus Revolution movie, you know. Uh, they, you know, the, they were trying to help the preacher see these getting hooked on drugs and these other ways, what they're doing is they're looking for purpose and meaning in all the wrong places, and they uh, think that uh, they'd never be accepted in your average church. And in many cases, you're right, they're right. The average church don't want anything to do with them, you know, because they smell and they look different and other stuff like that, you know. Um, but uh, all, you know, um, all that search for meaning and purpose is found ultimately in Christ. He's the only one that can satisfy, the only one that can fill and fulfill. And so delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. And so David says, man, pray that God will grant my heart's desires. May he fulfill my purpose. 
And uh, Bob Alden said, when we are near God, we want what he wants. Charles Spurgeon said, we may have our own will when our will is God's will. That's pretty good, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. All the things you need, not necessarily all the things you think you uh, want apart from Christ. I love verse 4 because David wanted prayers not just that he would survive trouble, but he'd fulfill God's purpose for him as, as king. And uh, too many of us are content just to survive when God wants us to thrive and make a difference for him. And I know life's tough, it's hard, um, and yet God uh, you know, wants us to reflect his peace when we're around folks because we really have it, we possess it, and the joy of the Lord is our strength, as Nehemiah said to Israel in the midst of people around them not liking them so much, you know. We got a big job to do. Each man's got to get his spot on the wall. He's got to have a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. He's got to defend some things. He's got to build up some things. And as we do that, what's going to be our strength, Nehemiah said? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Um, look at verse 5. We will rejoice in your salvation, and in the name of our God, we will set up banners. <laughs> May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. When God saves the king, we will rejoice. So there's a transition kind of here um, where we're getting to the end of the maze and we're going to the next part. But I love that part about God setting up banners. Um, flags are important, right? They symbolize something. When we uh, stand up on July 4th and we pledge allegiance to the flag, we're saying there's some things that uh, have brought us together as Americans, some ideals, and uh, we uh, think they're important. Uh, we will build a nation around them. Uh, and so we wave our banner, you know, and I love the fact that David puts this picture in their mind of waving their banners for the Lord. I love the fact that when Israel would set out in March, there'd be one for each tribe, right? Zebulun, Zebulun come with its standard, you know, and, and all of them would be in line like that. But they had one big banner they were under, and that was uh, the flag of God. You think about uh, how when David beat Goliath, all Israel won that day. He was their champion. And so even during a time of war, Israel would go out. David be at, would be at the forefront there. And um, there was a lot more going on than hoping David would win. It's, we're going to win when the king wins. We're going to win when Israel wins. David's leading us in the righteous battles. He's fighting the Philistines back. He is uh, expanding the borders to what God said the promised land is. And uh, they had the banner. I, I hope you found ways to wave your flag for Jesus. You know, uh, you know. I, I just uh, love the fact that uh, this Disciple Now weekend that was just finished up, a great big banner wave for Jesus, right? You know, uh, Danville's used to churches uh, jockeying for position with each other and this one and that one, and here's this whole thing. And we're waving the banner that Jesus is more important than the individual churches. We want all these kids to know Christ and to walk with Christ for the public school students to go back in their public school, schools this week and find each other, uh, you know, and, and support each other as they try to reach their campuses for Christ and set up FCA chapters and other things like that. We want the kids to go to Westover to enjoy their day off Monday because Westover so highly prized the uh, big day. They gave the students the day off Monday, uh, which is pretty cool. What a great thing to do. And when they go back Tuesday, hopefully they'll remember and be charged up for, for Jesus. And the homeschool students find their, will find their way as well. So verses 6 through 8, got a transition here. Testimonies to the Lord's trustworthiness. 
Look at verse six. Now he's testifying. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. Wait a second. We're sending the king out with our wishes for the battle. We're sending the team out. So there's kind of a confidence that God's going to get the victory that God intends to get. Alexander told me he used the Romans 8 passage uh, at his uh, relative's funeral there. Uh, in uh, What happens in Christ, right? There, the, you know, there's, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. There's a guarantee there. You know, when you place your faith and trust in Christ, you're born again. You've got a reserved place in heaven. You've believed, you're going to keep on believing, and you're going to be there. You know, the victory is secure. Uh, you can't foul it up, you know. Uh, you just got to keep your eyes on Jesus and keep turning back to him and his people when uh, tif- difficult days come. He will answer from his holy heaven with the str- saving strength of his right hand. This is the anticipation of victory. We've read the end of the book. It tells us God wins. Those aligned under his banner will be on the winning team. And it's kind of neat that uh, this is all moving. They're talking about an earthly king a little bit here, but verse 6 anticipates the Messiah again, right? I know that the Lord saves his anointed. That's that word Messiah. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. So that was true of King David during his lifetime, but of course true of Jesus when he rose from the dead and conquered Satan, sin, death, and hell. Many of you have heard verse 7, but it's a good one to keep in our minds, particularly when we think about, uh, you know, um, serving the Lord. What does it say? What do some trust in? Chariots. What do others trust in? Horses, right? But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. What's he talking about there? Well, think about Jehoshaphat again, man. Moabites, Ammonites, otherites coming against them, and they had uh, more resources. And... um, you know, uh, we we sometimes think, oh, if we're going to do the Lord's work, uh, it's going to take this much more money to do this, you know. And, uh, well, first thing it's going to take is consecration to God. If we want to reach people, first thing it takes is consecration to God. Then it takes prayer. Then courage is more important than money. Courage is more important than more money. People that will step out in faith. Stepping out in faith is more important than whether uh, we got this or that to do it, you know. Um and we've been blessed with so many resources here. Y'all are so faithful in giving. Uh, you know, just amazing what we can do together. But it's not about us at the end of the day, is it? It's about the Lord. It's about His glory. It's about His gospel. It's about uh, what we can do, uh, the importance of being part of a church, uh, focusing in on uh, teaching and missions and stuff like that. Richard Mantiply, I think I'm supposed to have a period by Mant, because I think it's Mantiply. Some their warrior horses boast, some their chariots marshaled hosts, but our trust will we proclaim in our God Jehovah's name. But that's also worth, um, you know, just us reflecting on a little bit. What are you trusting in? What are you trusting in? Are you trusting in uh, your ability to get it done on paper? Uh, Are you trusting in your ability to, you know, have the, where God guides, he provides, amen? And some people think, well, I would do that, but... But, 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 and God says, I've called you to do it. What are these buts about, right? Give me some examples in scripture where people tried to argue with God about his clear call in their life based on their inability. Moses, <laughs> Moses right? I'm not, a, I'm not a speaker. My mouth, who made your mouth? Who made your mouth, right? Yeah. Are there any others you can think of? Jonah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I'm a God bless Israel kind of preacher. I don't want to have to go to Nineveh. I don't even like them people. Yeah, yeah. 
So just fear, right? Fear uh, was one of the things there. And prejudice, fear and prejudice both. He didn't like them, uh, we find out in chapter 4. Um, but it's not about us. It's about God, his call in our life. Is there another example we can think of? We've got some good ones here. Paul. Yeah. Which one are, are you thinking about, Brother Allen? When, you know, he said, I'm the least of... Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. That sense. And so it's good for us to have that humility. Um, you know, I remember uh, getting to know R.J. Barber Jr. a little bit and him saying, man, I wish I had your degree. I wish I'd gotten gone back to school and gotten your degrees. <laughs> and I said, man, I wish I had your anointing. <laughs> Just uh, God's hand on you for all the different things uh, in the day. And I trust God's hand on me. But there was something special there. And uh, it might have been ruined by education, you know. And some people do get ruined by education. They get a pride and they lose that uh, reliance on God, that humility, that love for Him, uh, that, uh, you know, they become know-it-alls rather than humble people. And uh, we just want to keep on uh, serving God. Look at verse 8. So in this God save the king type song, in this may this be true for our king, may this be true for us, in verse 8, it anticipates that those who trusted in chariots and horses, they have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. And I think about this is just another one of those great scriptures that talks about the great reversal coming in the future. You know, those who trusted in other things and mocked God's people and took God's people on, uh, man, there's hell to pay. You know, there's hell to pay. Uh, they've bowed down and they've fallen, but we've risen and stand upright. The great reversal is guaranteed in the future, and we're in Psalm 20 here. As we go along, as we get into more of these psalms given to Israel, we see the psalmist rejoicing, not that all their circumstances were going well all the time. Many times it was a day of trouble, but many times, Psalm 37, it gives it over and over again. The wicked will not be on the earth. They'll perish from the earth, but the righteous will inherit the earth. Right, they're looking all the way to the future, being with God, and, and you know, in a new body on a new earth one day, and the wicked will not get to participate, you know, which is pretty cool. So the great reversal is guaranteed, and that, in a sense, makes us happy, but it also makes us sad as New Testament believers, because we don't want anybody to go to hell. How about Peter, uh, that quote from Christopher Hitchens, Dr. Brown gave us this morning. He's talking to a Unitarian Universalist minister, and she's saying she's basically redefined Christianity like a lot of liberal ministers do, and they don't get to qualify as a church. It's not a church, it's an Ichabod church, the glory is departed. But uh, they, um, you know... Uh, <laughs> You know, here she is basically uh, talking about a new way to view faith that is not the biblical way to view faith. And he's, and he's rebuking her as somebody that does not believe it at all. But he's like, hey, lady, a Christian is a person who believes Jesus is the only way that he was crucified for sins, you know, that he died and rose again. Uh, you know, and if you don't believe that, you can call yourself whatever you want. You know, you can call yourself a McDonald's hamburger, but that don't make you one just because you went to McDonald's, you know. Um, and uh, so, but isn't that sad? He could answer her knowing what true faith was, but he himself rejected God. But you know, most, it's crazy, but most educated atheists, if you ever talk yeah. to them, 
they will destroy you yeah. if you if you just move a smidgen out of the gospel, they got you, <laughs> right? right? They just that's wait. Right. I don't think you really want yeah, it. They, they, they got you, right? It's like, wow. That's right. That's right. Yeah, they, they say, you got you to gotta own it. You got to own it. And I own it. We own it. We own We own Christ crucified for our sins. We own that uh, some believing and receiving and having eternal life means those who reject Christ. Uh, you know, and so that's why I sometimes say it. You know, the great theme of the Bible is not the offer of redemption as great as the offer of redemption is in the Bible. The great theme of the Bible is the glory of God. God is glorified when repentant sinners turn to him in faith and get saved. But he's also glorified. He will be glorified in the judgment of unrepentant sinners. Um, And so it is the number one theme, the glory of God in creation, in redemption, uh, in gospel, and it will be true in judgment as well. Well, verse 9 is the recognition of who Israel's ultimate king is. That kind of is anticlimactic. I meant to make you fill in the blank for ultimate, but instead you can just circle it since it's already there. Uh, but verse 9 says, Save, Lord, may the king answer us when we call. Save equals the cry on Palm Sunday, Hosanna! Save us, Lord. We're coming up on Palm Sunday. Save us, Lord. By the way, what Jewish festival uh, starts tomorrow? Purim. Yeah, Purim. That's an, I, I, sorry, Ruby, I'm out of stars of the day, but uh, yeah, Purim. Uh, Purim's a lesser-known festival. Uh, they say John 5, that might have been the one there. If it's in the New Testament, it's in John 5, but uh, it's reflected, it reflects the events of Esther. So Jews have two times a year where they remember uh, God delivering them through times of trouble. Um, the sour uh, demeanor one, the uh, fasting one, is Tishba'av where they remember the destruction of the first temple, the second temple, uh, getting kicked out of England and Spain, and all the terrible things that have happened on Tishbeav historically. Um, so the ninth of Av, Tish, the ninth of Av, uh, in the Hebrew month of Av, the ninth of Av is a time of just uh, mourning. But Purim is a more festive one. They give gifts to each other. They play little, uh, you know, dice games because of um, uh, Haman uh, drawing lots and stuff like that. So it celebrates uh, the great deliverance uh, for Israel as Israelites lived in Persia during difficult days. Haman wanted to exterminate the Jews and instead wound up hanging on the on the gallows he had erected for Mordecai. And it is a good time to join our Jewish friends in thinking of that festival tomorrow because Iran, Persia is Iran, Iran right now, you know, is trying to get them nuclear weapons and one of the first things they want to use them against is Israel. Um, And y'all pray for Iran. Dr. Brown was right. There is a gospel movement going on underground there and our foolish government is not supporting it at all. And if we just, I actually asked a, a scholar on such things this past week, if, if we just helped them a little bit, would Iran's regime fall? He said they would. They would. If we just provide a little bit of the support we've historically provided, uh, those folks that are yearning for freedom and girls are walking around waving their hijabs and stuff like that, it's a generation searching for meaning. They just want to get away from that brutal Islamic uh, legalism and stuff like that, that uh, uh, you know, law that demeans women and, and, and just does not give them uh, the... the, the Respect due uh, women as created in the image and likeness of God. And um, God is on the move there. People are turning to Christ. But, you know, they, they've killed a lot of Christians and others 
uh, trying to yearn for freedom in this last year a lot. And so pray for the persecuted church in Iran and in prison and the sham trials they go up against and those other things. But uh, now the second verse, part of verse 9, probably, just again, let's get it. So the first part, save, Lord, and the second part is, may the king answer us when we call. The second part of verse 9 probably isn't about David the king. So it's like Psalm 20 is David saying, here's how you can pray and express your wishes toward the king in song, in a song of prayer. And I'm doing that for you too, guys. You know, David probably is for everybody. Uh, but he's probably got a different king in mind in the second part of verse 9. Why do I say that? And here's your hint. Help me out based on what you know about Hebrew poetry, in this case, the poetic device of parallelism that's in so many of these verses. Save and salvation come up more than once. But okay. It comes up when you get to the anointed. So right here... Um, he's, build, he's building toward it, isn't he? He's, he's building toward it. He's using that Messiah word that's special. Um, that's good. What else? We're halfway there. Uh, look again at verse 9. What's the name of God he uses in the first part? Yahweh. Yahweh. L-O-R-D capitalized, that's Yahweh. Save, Yahweh. May the king answer us when we call. Yahweh, king. Yahweh King, parallelism, Yahweh King, Yahweh King. So um, the first part cries out to Yahweh, which means the king being prayed to in the second part is none other than Yahweh. And that brings us back to the concept that this was to be sung. And I wrote this down for you so you can think about this later too. Can you see in your imagination the knowing exchange of looks between King David and his people as they get to this final line. Just imagine them singing this, all in chorus raised together, and together they sing to the King of Kings. Whew, it's very powerful, because David knew there had been times as their king he had let them down, and there would be future times when he let them down. And there would be times they let him down, but God would be faithful to keep the ancient promises they relied on. He was the God of Jacob. He is the God of Jacob. He will be the God of Jacob. He delivered Jacob during his time of trouble from his brother Esau. He's going to deliver Israel in the time of the tribulation. And every time God, you know how when a parent's upset with you, uh, they say your full name. Whenever God was kind of trying to get Israel to... Kick it down a notch and be humble. He pulls out the name Jacob again. And we know Jacob himself, you know, had some back and forth before he really became Israel, right? And sometimes God reminds Israel where they came from, that in, in, in and of themselves they're Jacob, but God has made them Israel. They're Israel because of his activity in their life. He has changed their name. And uh, so neat to think on. Um, God would be faithful to keep the ancient promises they relied on. He was doing it in their day. So let me just have you this week um, think of somebody you know and walk their name down through Psalm 20, at least the first five or six verses of it. So let's say I was doing this for Gary Reynolds. Lord, may you answer Gary in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend Gary. God, may you send Gary help from your sanctuary, your earthly sanctuary. May you strengthen him out of your heavenly Zion. May Gary remember your sacrifice for him, your offering of yourself on the cross, Lord Jesus. 
Lord, may you grant Gary according to his heart's desire and fulfill Gary's purpose. God's got a purpose for Gary. God, may Gary rejoice in your salvation this week. And in the name of our God, may Gary set up banners. May he just be flying his Jesus flag all week long and people see it waving and think about Jesus because Gary's waving that banner. Lord, may you fulfill all the things Gary is petitioning you for and needs to do in your life. Lord, I I know you've saved Gary and you're going to answer him from your holy heaven with the saving strength of your right hand. Lord, Help Gary not to trust in physical resources this week. He's probably thinking about some as he gets his ducks in a row to go to, um, as he gets ready to go back to Kenya, Lord. But we know that you own the cattle on a thousand hills. So we're going to remember the name of the Lord our God and that you can provide and meet every need we have. Lord, may those who have uh, mocked Gary for these steps of faith in serving you, may, Lord, we, we don't want them to have this what verse 8 says, where they bow down and are fallen, Lord God. Help them repent and turn to you. But Lord, regardless of what others do, may Gary rise and stand upright. Save Gary, Lord. May you answer him when he calls for your glory. So you got kids, you got grandkids, walk that through for each one of them. You know, just pray that prayer blessing over it. If you can turn it into a good song that we can sing in church one day, write it up and we'll give it a word. Let's close in prayer. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about the Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today.